So during Advent, we wait, we prepare, and today we reflect and remember the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of the scripture readings, and we're going to have to come back to this slide, but some of the scripture readings we're going to be working through today in the lectionary come from Zephaniah 3, Isaiah 12, Luke 3, and Philippians 4. But before we come to that, I want to just ask you something. When you think about good news versus bad news, you know, you'll hear, like I was going to say, in the next slide, if Dylan has that one, is people will say, I have some, next one, I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news for you. And, and sometimes people will give you an option. They'll say, which one do you want to hear first? And then you sit there and you think, I really want to hear the good news first, but sometimes we just want to get the bad news out of the way, right? And we, and we just want to be like, just, just tell me the bad news so I can, I can just get it over with, and then I can get on to the good news. And the next slide, I think, though, and, and especially how I think we're wired, is that we often are gravitating towards bad news. If you look at our, our news sources, none of it's good. I was testing that out this week. I found one good thing. And actually, I talked about it on our Facebook page. If, you're, if you can go on Facebook, um, once a week we're doing an encouraging word of the week, and it's on our Facebook page. And I found a, a news source. It's called the Good News Network, and it's only good news. I tested it out. There was no bad news on it, nothing. It was really good. Like, and then it gives you, like, one year ago, this was the good news happening. 30 years ago today, this was the good news happening. This past week on Wednesday, it was 30 years ago that, that the Soviet Union officially collapsed and the new Russian Federation was um, created and all the, um, the extra eastern states were given independence. So that was good news of the day. But I feel like we, are, we naturally gravitate towards negative things. Um, and I think that that is something that, that God does not want for us. And so it, we have to continually push against looking for the bad and, and looking for the good. And I, I feel like this is true. What we look for is what we will find. Are we looking for good? Are we looking for hope? Are we looking for peace? Are we looking for joy? Or, or are we seeking out things that are bad and hopeless and despairing? And I think as, as Christ followers, especially this time of year, we have this powerful platform to point to good and hope and joy and peace and the possibility of what God is doing and what he's going to do. And we have never more of a wonderful time than to do it than this. So here's, here's the thing. In Scripture, we have promise of good news, but it first kind of starts with some bad news. And so if, you, if you've got your Bible or a Bible app, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'll get over some of the bad news first. We'll just get it out of the way. But in Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of, of the Bible, we have this wonderful narrative in the first two chapters. It's two different accounts of creation of how, how the world came to be, how God created man and woman in his image, how he, he created people to be at peace with each other. He created people to be at peace with animals. I mean, they were so peaceful and content and safe, they didn't even have to wear clothes. And it wasn't even cold. It was, it was beautiful. And then we have this, this interjection in verse 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord the God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So we have this insertion of... Wah, 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 wah. 
we have the introduction of, of the devil, of the enemy of our souls. And, you know, God had told man and woman, Adam and Eve, you can eat anything in this garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do that, you're going to die. And they're like, okay, Lord, and, and they, it's interesting, they're probably vegetarians, they didn't have to eat any meat at this point. And then we have the serpent, the devil, the accuser, that's what Satan means, the accuser, and he comes in and he inserts doubt. First time that there's doubt about what God says, and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman talks to the serpent. She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. It means that there's going to be separation from God. Something's going to happen. And, and he, he deceives them. He says, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you, when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman listens and the man listens. They equally listen to each other and to, the, to Satan. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she reconciled. She's like, well, maybe God didn't really mean that. Took some fruit, ate it, gave it to her husband. He eats it. And their eyes were open and they realized, boom, we don't have clothes on. And then they quickly... Shame comes into the picture. Shame is the bad news. Shame is, actually, I always tell people, shame is public enemy number one. Shame is what keeps us from, from God and from each other. And boom, they're both self-conscious for the first time. They hide from each other. And it says, then they hid from God. They heard God coming. And instead of running to him, they hide from him. Sounds like they usually had this encounter with the Lord. And instead, they go and hide it says, but the Lord calls them, where are you? And Adam answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you were naked? And the man said, well, the woman who you put me here with, they start blaming each other. That's bad news, too. She gave me some fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what have, what have you done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate and so then the Lord says to the serpent, to Satan, the accuser, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And then, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And this is, the, this is where some good news comes in. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That crushing of the devil's head is, is a reference to Christ. When Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil on the cross, that was the crushing of the head. And so we go from bad news to good news, and we have this foreshadowing of what God is going to do. And it means also, though, the bad news is to the woman, he says, well, here's the deal. I'm going to make your pain and child being very severe. Yes, it is severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Just think, like, before sin came in, it, it was never going to be terrible or painful. Man, I wish that had been the truth. <laughs> so says, it also says your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. It also shows that the equality that was present in marriage was going to be all wonky and weird and turned upside down and that men and women were no longer going to be living in harmony that they were. To Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, he says, you're, you're going to have to work really hard. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
It's going to not grow good for you. It's going to make thorns and thistles, and you're going to eat plants of the field. You're going to sweat until you eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you return. And then, and then it says that God had to kill animals to make garments of skin. That's where we get the word atonement, covering. And he clothed them. Something had to die because of their sin. Before that, animals didn't even have to die. And God says, the Lord God says, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat forever. God had given boundaries. So the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out, placed him on the east side of the garden, and then there was a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The bad news was there was separation between God and his people. And we've dealt, we've dealt with the consequences ever since. And so that is the bad news, but there's, there's this hint of good news in there that points to hope. There is going to be victory, and, and the devil's head is going to be crushed, and we have that being accomplished through Jesus Christ. So I want to point you to some good news as we look through the prophets in Isaiah chapter 11. And this is the continuation of the promise where we come to understanding how the Old Testament fulfills the New Testament and how the prophets were longing for the Messiah and we have this word from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, and branch is capitalized. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge but what he sees with his eyes or decide but with what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. You know, it, it just points to God is going to restore, and it's going to come from the promise that he had promised all along the way, and that is such good news. Then the Apostle Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 3, we're doing our Bible Olympics today, we're going from beginning, middle, to the, to the back of the Bible in Galatians chapter 3, the apostle says, Before the becoming of this faith, we, will ha we were held in custody under the law. Because of sin, we were, we were locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. 
Now this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That is good news. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is good news. That's, that's the, the culmination of all the redemption that God is doing. And so as we sit in that good news, I want you to be thinking about how God promises us good news even when there's bad news, even when there's pain. There's good news because the prophets of the Old Testament, they were filled with God's spirit to speak God's truth to God's people. They pointed in hope and expectation to the good news that was coming as they waited for the Messiah. They were given a message to share and help people prepare and examine their hearts and their lives. The gospel literally means good news. It's a term you may be familiar with, just like we were talking with the children this morning. Um, it was used in the Old Testament of any kind of good news. If someone had something fortunate happen to them or an announcement that someone won an election or there was good news that needed sharing, it was broadcast. Someone would usually run because they didn't have cars, so it required legwork. It describes the joyful tidings of God's kindness, in particular points to messianic blessings. It's used in the New Testament, especially for the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the salvation that was going to be obtained through Christ and what relates to salvation. It's used also to instruct people concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. So usually the term good news is associated with Christians nowadays. Some connection points as we come to our scripture readings for today, and, and the scripture readings for today are in the, the Red Book, so if you're following along, and I really hope you, you grab this if you haven't, but this is the third Sunday in Advent, and so we are in lectionary cycle C, and that is where we are getting the scripture readings for today and this week. And we start with Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet who spoke to the people of Judah around 640 to 627 B.C., the name Zephaniah literally means stored up for Yahweh, or Yahweh stores up, and reminds us of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust cause to vanish, and where thieves dig through and steal. But treasure up for yourselves in heaven, where neither rust nor, nor moth can cause to vanish, and where thieves do not dig up or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's word to Zephaniah is a word of rejoicing and gladness. If you turn to Zephaniah, Zephaniah is a tough one to find the Bible. I remember in seminary I had to take a, um, it was called the Minor Prophets of, of the Old Testament, and I would always like zing across. I'm like, where are you, Zephaniah? But Zephaniah is here. <laughs> and I'm going to start reading from Zephaniah chapter 3. Starting at verse 14, the prophet Zephaniah says, Sing, daughter of Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At this time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. 
I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortune before your very eyes. You know, his word to Zephaniah was helping people be glad and rejoice. They were in, they were in exile. They were banished. They had been taken over. And so God is calling his people daughter of Jerusalem. He's calling, he's calling them with tender and loving phrases. The people are given good news that they're not going to be punished any longer. He says, remember, I'm with you. I'm your king. I'm giving you good news not to fear any longer. Even to have a different posture. You know, you think of like, I know like when I'm not feeling great, my posture reflects that my hands hang limp, but when I'm feeling good, I am feeling good. And so he, he says, even your posture is going to change. You're not going to be walking around slouching over. He says, you're going to be walking straight up because I am giving you confidence. He says he gives them the term that they're going to be rescued, gathered, honored. You're not going to be shamed or rejected anymore. You're going to be brought home. You're going to be restored. You know, as I read this over and over this week, I was filled with so much joy and hope. Even though these words are given by God through his servant Zephaniah to a people long ago, they're still for us today. We can claim these words and also rest in the good news that just as Hebrew says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So also God's word is for us today, just like it was yesterday, just like it's going to always be. We have a king in our midst, a mighty warrior who fights on our behalf. He sings over us. He loves us. He's going to help us. God sees each one of our circumstances in this world. That's such an awesome thing to just think about, that God can see and know every single one of us individually and as his people. Zephaniah's word from God also had a twist to it. The good news indicted those who were not doing what God wanted them to do. It was also for God's people who were not living lives reflecting the good news. And they were treating their brothers and sisters unfairly and neglecting to do what Micah 6, 8 says, which is, what has the Lord called you to do but to live just, love justly, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. John the Baptist picks up this word from the Lord as he was baptizing. The, the really beautiful connection point when you read the Old and the New Testament as you flip to um, the book of Luke is the connection point of what God was called, God called John to do to get the people of Israel ready for Jesus. Um, just going to remind you where to turn to in your Bibles as we are in Bible Olympics this morning. Dylan, can you bring up that slide? Sorry, I lost it. It's Luke 3, 7 through 18. As he picked up that word and he was baptized and the people were coming to them saying, what should we do? This is what, this is what John says. John told the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. First of all, he, he, he called them names. He said, you brood of vipers? He called them a snake pit. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, we're good. For he said, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown to the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone has food do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? He said, don't collect any more money than you have to. Some soldiers came to him and said, what should we do? He says, don't exhort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. 
The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he did, the bad news was John got thrown in jail. So John had good news and bad news to share. First of all, his, his advice was, to justice. Share what you have. If you have clothes, give some of them. If you have food, share it. To those struggling with how to serve the Roman government at the time, he said, be part of the people, but don't, don't be unfair to them. Just do your job. Soldiers even asked him what to do. He said, don't be fair. Don't rip people off. Be content with what you have. He told the people, get ready. I have good news. The one who's wait, who you're waiting for is coming. He says, I'm not even unworthy to untie his sandals. That's what a big deal he is. And he will baptize you and fill you with the Holy Spirit with fire. John's good news was that Jesus is coming. Prepare, get ready, buckle up. It also says in Luke that with many other words, he exhorted and encouraged them. And it seems that he went too far with his good news because of Herod's sexual sin. He got locked up and thrown in jail. But it was because the good news meant that Herod was not following God and it wasn't received well. That makes me pause to just to remind you and I that the good news of Jesus, that we have this joy, is not always going to be received by the world as good news. And it's hard for us to understand, like, why would you not want to receive the good news? Why wouldn't you want to have forgiveness and peace and, and joy and forgiveness? Why? We must try to understand from the world's perspective, though, so we will be more effective in our conversations with people who don't yet know Jesus. And it is hard to imagine, why wouldn't someone want to know the good news? Why wouldn't they want to be saved to be free of sin, death, and the devil? And it's because of the knowledge that we are still sinful and needing a Savior. And that's, and that's just the opposite of, of everything. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, John had a hard time explaining this as well, of, of Jesus saying, you must be born again. It's not through the keeping of the news. The good news is that you must believe in me. It comes through faith, and that is the good news. John explains that Jesus is light. And because of sinfulness, people love darkness rather than light. And because light opposes darkness, our sinfulness is exposed. And that's why sometimes we don't want to believe the good news or we don't want to live in the good news. And so this time of year is such an important time to, to just pause and say, do I really believe the good news that I say I believe? Is Jesus' good news good news for me today as well as the world? It makes me wonder, do I really love and want the good news? Do I really want the rescuer with the best rescue plan? And that's where we come, and, and this is why we have confession every, every week in church. It's because we have to admit that we need the good news. We need rescuing from ourselves that keeps us from God and from each other. We need that rescuing every day. And so this time, this time of Advent is, is where we pause and we be reminded. Um, Dylan, you can bring up the, the slide that says Advent is a time. In this time, remember that Advent is the time of the best news that the good news that we call is good is Jesus. And so today as we, as we close, I just want you to keep remembering this good news is going to be with you and help you through life's struggles. You know, this, I think we're all kind of getting our butts kicked a little bit in our world right now. It's been hard. You know, it's, it's like I feel like we kind of recover from one thing to another and, and I think that's where the good news is like an anchor that keeps us from floating all over the place. 
I want to encourage you from the book of Philippians to shift your focus and to be reminded of this. Finally, brothers and sisters, and this is where we think of the good news, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy, think on such things. That is the good news. Jesus says, think on those things. Next slide, believe the good news. If you're having a hard time with that, you know, ask God to help you believe. Ask someone to pray for you. Thank God for the good news. Show and tell the good news. You don't have to wear a silly elf costume to go and tell, tell the world that there's joy right now. And just like we think of a newspaper, lastly, keep the good news, front page news, as you begin your day. Friends, take time to spend in God's word. Take time to anchor yourself coming back to this is the best news. This is the news that says I am free, I am forgiven, I am loved, I am secure. And keep that good news, front, front page news, as you start your day. I wanted to pray um, with you um, as we close this morning, and it's actually from the red book from last week. But please pray with me. Lord, the calendar calls for Christmas. We have traveled this way before. During this Advent season, we would see what we have never seen before, except what we have refused to think and hear what we need to understand. Be with us in our goings, that we may meet you in your coming. Astonish us until we sing glory, and then enable us to live it out with love and peace. In the name of your incarnate word, even Jesus Christ, amen.